Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.13 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the, ooh shit, it's Friday the 13th, y'all. January 2023. This is episode 657 of Bitcoin and Boostagrams. I forgot to read Boostagrams. If you guys are going to write, take the time to write me notes uh, through Boostagrams, I'm going to read them. And this one is going back to episode 654, which was December the 16th. It was right before I broke for Christmas break. It was the last one that I did for 2022. Let's see what people said, shall we? Bubba, 12,345 Satoshi says Noster. Sounds interesting, but sometimes dropping out would be so much easier and peaceful. The Unabomber was right. He just used fucked up methods to get his point across. (laughs) Bubba, my trucker friend. Yeah, you know, and that's sort of, the Unabomber became a meme again. You know, it's it's happened. It, all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. But it really started taking off uh, in 2022. In, the, in I think, I want to say pretty much the by the time the fourth quarter of the year rolled around, uh, I was seeing pretty much nothing but Unabomber, you know, police sketch of the dude with the sunglasses and the hoodie and shit like that. All over the place, you know, and this actually kind of feeds in. It really does. It feeds into, remember what I was saying the last couple of shows about people are ready to give up the easy and take on the hard. Bubba's right there, you know, and he's an older gentleman too, man. He's pretty sure he's, he got a few years on me and uh, he's always had it hard, right? I, I know, I know you've always had it hard. I don't have to ask about your history. I've talked to you and at least over the internet, you know, we, you interviewed me that one time. Um, I can tell, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been hard. And I, but I still think, I, I don't know. I just, I don't see what's so enamorous about the easy. It seems boring. I, I don't know. But yeah, the Unabomber was, if you don't know, the Unabomber was sending mail bombs to people. And when you looked at his, list of, you know, victims, they were, you know, technologists and PhDs and science and any, anybody that had anything to do with, you know, fashioning the, the, the quote unquote new world. He was more like, I don't want any of that. And not only do I not want it, I think it's so insidious that I'm going to send a pipe bomb in the mail or whatever it was that he was doing. Uh, because I don't think anybody else should actually exist this way. Well, that's somebody making a decision for somebody else, and and that's not very libertarian at all. But you know, it. I I think humanity is is at this weird inflection point where we might start 
you know, well, it, it looks to me like we are grasping and trying to go back in, in a way, go back and seize how to do things that we used to know how to do before all this technology hit on us. That doesn't mean that I think technology is bad, quite the opposite. I think technology is good, but without any kind of context as to why are we grasping this technology? Why are we building it? What is it being used for? Without context, technology is worthless. It just is. I mean, unless you have a good reason why you're building an airplane, then it doesn't need to be built. You know, if you, unless you're, you know, unless you really have a, a need for an automobile, then it shouldn't be invented or the parts cobbled together. If you didn't need a need for the printing press, then it should not have been built. However, all three of the things that I just described have pretty heavy utility. It's the things that don't have utility that I call into question. But even those that don't have utility might given context. It, it's kind of hard to describe, but you know, I've, I think of this scenario in my head all the time about a civilization that has deep technological know-how, but if you were to run across this civilization as just a regular old guy or old gal walking across it, what you might actually see first, or what you would see first is a simple people in an agrarian lifestyle that are clean, well-fed, very healthy, very happy, but they are not whipping out their cell phones and, and getting on Twitter or getting on Noster or, or whatever, right? It's only until you really spend time with them that you figure out that they've married a deep sensibility of their past with a deep utility of what they are building for the future. We don't have that. We don't. Now, continuing on, let's see what uh, Mr. Man with 10,001 Satoshi says, can't wait until I earn sats per mile. Noster has big potential. Pitar, 7,777 sats, also known as the Striper Boost, says, I think he just bought himself time by blowing up FTX. My reasoning is this. His BNB token, uh, Ponzi, can survive longer if it's the only Ponzi in town. The FTT token Ponzi was stealing valuable Ponzi victims from CZ and he couldn't afford to run out of dupes in this harsh shitcoin winter. Okay, I don't have anything to say against that. Now we can't prove any of this because we're not in the mind of Shengpeng Zhao, but or, this is the guy from Binance is who he's talking about, that uh, Pitar is suggesting that uh, that the Binance guy decided to um, blow up FTX because he wanted all of everybody or everybody using his BNB token and not FTT. I, I don't know. I don't really have anything to say about that. I'll have to think about that, but I don't think you're wrong, Pitar. I don't think you're wrong what, whatsoever. Letter 6173 with a striper boost says, I hope you have a great Christmas with your family. God bless all my fellow maximalists this season. Yeah, we did have a good Christmas. It was freaking awesome. Uh, Wolf Bearclaw with 5,000 sat boost. No note. Uh, Jim Leahy, 700 sat says, where you been? Sorry I haven't seen a boost or given a boost in a while. I finally opted out and moved to Central America, missing your shows. 
Well, Wolf Bear Claw, I hope uh, I hope I'm coming in loud or not Wolf Bear Claw. Jim Leahy, sorry. It's morning. Give me a break. I haven't had enough coffee. Jim Leahy, um I I would want to I want to know more about your move to Central America. Why did you do it? How did you do it? What do you expect out of it? I'd like to know that information. And how is the experience so far? I would love to hear all about it. Please, please, please. You know, and 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 also, Jim, get on Noster. I'm on there. Uh, it's hard. It may be hard to find me. Send me a, 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 or I might send you a boost with my public key, and you can find me from there. And you can, if you don't want to send me a boostogram uh, to, to describe your travels because it's too long or whatever, you want to hold keyboard. Uh, do that. I'll do that if I can remember. And you tell me all about it, and we'll go from there. How's that? Uh, user shit ton of numbers, which is actually a, that's not his name. It's just user and like three nine four blah 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 blah. So I say shit ton of numbers. Five hundred sats, uh, sats for your thoughts. Siggy forty seven with hundred sats says first time listening to the podcast. This episode was an excellent introduction to Noster. I have been obsessively trying to learn about it since I discovered it. And Mr. Man replies to that, says, definitely my favorite Bitcoin podcast, Dave Ramsey of Bitcoin. Wow, that's some high praise. Dave Ramsey is, uh, come on. I mean, dude, that's high praise. Even if you don't like uh, Dave Ramsey, the guy has got an audience. So I can only hope to capture one ten thousandth of that audience. And if I did, I'd be able to buy a door to the studio. All right. All right. Let's get on with it. First article up today. One of America's largest hemp processors makes entry into sustainable Bitcoin mining. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. Generation Hemp Incorporated, the largest midstream hemp processing entity in the United States, has renamed itself Evergreen Sustainable Enterprises Incorporated, citing a new directional focus on sustainable energy projects, with their first project involving a Bitcoin mining operation in Costa Rica, speaking of Central America. According to a press release through its subsidiary, subsidiary Cryptorica LLC, the company has purchased 80% of Toro Energia Sociedad Anonima, a Costa Rican corporation with ownership of a hydroelectric dam in the country that will be used to power new Bitcoin mining machines. Hydroelectric power is clean and renewable energy source that is more reliable and cost-effective than other sources and will help reduce the, God forbid, carbon footprint of the mining operation. Brothers Eduardo Copper and Roberto Copper, who are the current owners, will retain the other 20% ownership and will continue to host the Bitcoin mining operation. Quote, the Toro Dam is located approximately 25 miles from San Jose between two volcanic craters, states the release. Quote, the site generates all of its energy from green resources with a proven 98% runtime over the years and has a full-time staff in place under a new operating and maintenance agreement, end quote. The move is an example of firms originally outside of Bitcoin mining entering the industry amidst a time of opportunity. With the price of Bitcoin ASICs being so far down and many mining firms readjusting their strategies, 
well-capitalized businesses could see a major return on investment given the right decisions. Essential to these returns is low-cost energy, of which this project takes advantage of. Quote, all of our mining sites under development should generate immediate net cash flow to the company during a period when the Bitcoin mining sector is down, along with overall capital markets, said Gary C. Evans, chairman and CEO of Evergreen Sustainable Enterprises. Quote, current mining site locations in development exceed six and include Arkansas, Kentucky, and Costa Rica, end quote. Eduardo Copper, commenting on this new arrangement, stated that, quote, we are anxious to install 300 brand new Bitcoin mining machines over the next few months at the Toro location. Acknowledging the incredible opportunity at hand, he continued, quote, when the price of Bitcoin starts its upward trajectory, we will be extremely well positioned. The original generation Hemp Incorporated firm will become a subsidiary of Evergreen and it will retain its original operations and staff. Now, this, um, I, this statement by the CEO, Gary C. Evans, hit me as something completely solid and very logical, sans any hubris or bullshit. I'm going to read it again. All of our mining sites under development should generate immediate net cash flow to the company during a period when the Bitcoin mining sector is down along with overall capital markets. Right? It's, and it's almost like a mission statement. And I think that that's one of the, when, when I read companies and corporations and when I read their mission statements and, and God knows I've read many of them on the air to you on this show. And generally speaking, what I will, you know, come away with is like, you better put a tie on that suit speak because it says nothing. It's just filled with jargon and catchphrases and shit like, you know, in this case, they even said carbon footprint, but I'll give them a pass on that for this one. It's usually like, being able to expand our, you know, expand our uh, influence in the world of uh, wokeness and, and all of our team members are part of the, cre it's all bullshit. It says nothing. It's like, uh, there's a Shakespeare quote and I can't remember what it is, but it was like, oh, uh, now I got to find it. I got to find it because it, it goes into suit speak. Yeah, here it is. It's from uh, Macbeth. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Generally speaking, that is the mission statement of 95% of worldwide corporations. And I've got air quotes going on here because it is, it's, it's just, it's, it's this bluster and it means absolutely nothing. But when I go to this guy's statement, even though he may just be making a statement and this isn't the company's mission statement, all of our mining sites under development should generate cash flow immediately to the company during a period when the Bitcoin mining sector is down along with all other overall capital markets. That sounds like a business plan in a sentence, right? These, I, I get the feeling that this company is one to watch and I am praying and crossing my fingers that they don't do two things. A, get into shit coinery, and B, get into earn products because either one of those is a death knell, right? So let's move on. Speaking of death knell, 
DCG owes creditors over $3 billion considering $500 million of VC portfolio sale. Zijuan Sun from Cointelegraph, and I probably butchered his name. Cryptocurrency broker Genesis Global Trading allegedly owes its creditors more than $3 billion. At last week, it was $1.9, and then it was like $2.2, and now it's up to $3 billion. The sky's the limit, guys. Anyway, its parent, the Digital Currency Group, which also owes Grace, owns Grayscale Investments and its series of digital asset trusts, seeks to sell part of its venture capital holdings to offset the shortfall. According to people familiar with the matter, DCG's venture arm has more than 200 crypto-related projects such as exchanges, banks, and custodians in at least 35 countries. God, the contagion is real. With a total valuation of around $500 million, Genesis reportedly hired investment bank Molis to explore strategic alternatives, although people familiar with the matter said there was little capital infusion interest. On January the 5th, Genesis laid off one-third of its staff as a cost-cutting measure, a second of its kind in only six months. On January the 12th, DCG Barry Silbert wrote to shareholders that, quote, bad actors and the implosion of lead leading crypto companies had wreaked havoc upon the industry. Silbert also disclosed that Three Arrow Capital still owes Genesis $447.5 million and 4,550 Bitcoin worth $78 million, which matures this May 2023. Three Arrow's capital is currently in bankruptcy themselves, and creditors have expressed severe frustration towards the process. Cointelegraph reported on November the 16th, 2022, that Genesis halted withdrawals, citing unprecedented market turmoil. At the time, the company reportedly had $175 million worth of funds stuck on, you guessed it, FTX, and had already received a $140 million equity infusion to cover losses. Previously, it was thought that Genesis Global had an estimate shortfall of $1 billion. According to Cameron Winklevoss, co-founder of cryptocurrency exchange Gemini, Genesis lent more than $2.3 billion, $2.3 billion to now defunct hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, leaving it with a $1.2 billion loss when the firm failed back in June of last year. Gemini said it lent over $900 million worth of customer deposits to Genesis as part of its EARN program. More than 340,000 users are affected in the wake of the Gemini EARN slash Genesis global dispute. Uh, yeah. Well, it gets a little worse for Barry. All right. So, you know, Barry been around for a long time. Starts getting into trouble. Eh. $1 billion shortfall, $1.2, $1.5 billion shortfall, turns into $2.9 billion shortfall, probably going to go up from there. And guess where all that shit's going to come out at? Probably at the hearing. Because the Securities and Exchange Commission has hit Genesis and Gemini. Okay, Winklevire included in this. The SEC hits Genesis and Gemini with a securities law violation for Gemini Earn program. Oh boy, here we go. Jason Nelson, Decrypt.co. The beleaguered Gemini Earn program is now the linchpin in a set 
of charges filed by the Securities and Exchange Commission against both Genesis and Gemini. Genesis is Barry Silbert's outfit. Gemini is the Winklevi's outfit. In announcing the charges, the SEC says the firms raised billions of dollars worth of crypto assets from hundreds of thousands of investors in Gemini Earn, describing it as an unregistered offering that qualifies as a sale of securities to retail investors, which means that it passed the Howey test. Quote, we allege that Genesis and Gemini offered unregistered securities to the public, bypassing disclosure requirements designed to protect investors. Today's charges build on previous actions to make clear to the marketplace and to the investing public that crypto lending platforms and other intermediaries need to comply with our time-tested securities law, said SEC Chair Gary Gensler. He continued, quote, Doing so best protects investors. It promotes trust in markets. It's not optional. It's the law. So pausing here to say it promotes trust in markets and it's not optional. We have no option but to trust the markets. I know that's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying that the law is not optional, but the law seeks to promote trust and it's, you can't, you can't get around it, right? So the reason the law exists is to help trust. But we know that you don't trust. You verify the entire legacy financial market system is built upon trust that is misplaced onto people that should have no right to be breathing the same oxygen as the regular pleb. I'm just saying, that's, just, that's the way that I feel about it. It sounds harsh. I don't care. Most of those fucking people, the carbon in their bodies would have been better deployed as charcoal upon my grill. I know. That's just a horrible thing to say, isn't it? But I think it's time for humanity to ditch the easy and take upon the hard. It does, I'm not calling for violence. I'm just saying that when I, I would probably get more out of having a conversation with a lump of charcoal before I put it on my grill to smoke ribs with than talking to these people in a serious manner. I give them no respect. I don't want to give them my time. I don't want to give them my attention. I don't want to fire any neurons in their direction because it saps my body's metabolism. Like I said, I'd get more out of examining a lump of charcoal than to talk to fucking Gary Gensler. I mean, DCG is going to get what's coming to him. There's no doubt. I told you about this shit on Monday. I told you about this shit on December the 16th, which was the last Bitcoin and of 2022. DCG is going down and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And here we go. Quote, it's disappointing that the SEC chose to file an action today as Gemini and other creditors are working hard together to recover funds, Tyler Winklevoss said in a prepared response sent to Decrypt, also posted to Twitter. Quote, this action does nothing to further our efforts to help earn users get their assets back. Their behavior is totally counterproductive. What, like yours in offering a 6% fucking earn product? 
you're just as culpable as Gary Gensler. The carbon in your body is also better deployed upon my Weber charcoal grill. Some of crypto Twitter questioned the timing of the SEC's announcement and why it took so long to investigate and call the EARN program out. While others said the SEC made the right decision in calling out the EARN program as unregistered securities. Others took aim at SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, who may have accused uh, may have accused of regulation by enforcement and targeting some crypto companies while becoming, quote, cozy with others, including failed cryptocurrency exchange FTX. Quote, Gensler attacked Coinbase, cozied up to SBF, spit in the face of retail investors by rejecting spot ETFs, and spent more time finding bankrupt entities and Kardashians than fixing problems, tweeted Missouri founder uh, Ryan Selkis. He's a crooked cop on the beat, not a public servant. Yeah, well, Ryan, you ain't much better either, pal. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm calling out a lot of people here because I'm just fucking done being nice. Launched on February 2021, Gemini's Earn program claimed to allow customers to earn up to 7.4% APY on cryptocurrencies. By November, however, of 2022, the signs of trouble with the program began to show as the exchange warned customers of potential issues with withdrawals. The same day crypto broke, Genesis announced it would suspend client withdrawals, citing the impact of the collapse of, you guessed it, FTX on November the 11th. On January the 2nd, 2023, Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss tweeted an open letter to Genesis owner DCG and its founder and CEO Barry Silbert addressing what he characterized as evasive tactics by the company and Silbert himself. Winklevoss wrote that Gemini has repeatedly tried to work out a consensual resolution to the dispute with DCG and Genesis over returning funds to users, but alleged that Silbert and his DCG had complicated the matter. The SEC filed its complaint in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York. It's, I'm just pausing here to remind you that almost all of this shit is coming out of U.S. District Court of the Southern District of New York. I mean, like for the past year, if it if it's a, a pro if 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 a complaint is being filed against a crypto company, it's coming out of the Southern District of New York. It's almost as if that district can like literally do nothing else. It can't investigate anything else because they've just stacked crypto problems upon their desk. So I wonder what kind of backlog traditional financial markets are going to be in. Is this a smokescreen for being able to protect and say, oh, well, we can't get to JP Morgan. We can't get to Wells Fargo. We can't get to Bank of America. We can't deal with any of that shit because we've got FTX and Barry Silbert and all the other garbage and it's on our desk because we just can't get to any of the actual stuff. I'm just positing that as a potential issue here. Anyway, where were we? The SEC filed this complaint in Southern District of New York. It asks for a permanent injunctive relief, disgorgement of ill-gotten gains, pre-judgment interest, and civil penalties, which means they're going after Barry Silbert's uh, personal property. That's sort of what that means. I mean, they're, they're going to crawl up Barry Silbert's butt 
and they're going to live there for probably five straight years because this is not going to be resolved very quickly. Yeah, sure, a judgment may be filed, you know, or uh, or handed down very quickly, but the actual resolution of it is going to take years. It always does, and it's not going to be any different here. Now, quick one because they are. This will be quick. This execution will be quick. Robinhood is going to delist Bitcoin Satoshi's vision and market sell remaining user balances. They're not even going to give it back to the users. They're just going to fucking sell it. Ha <laughs> Andre Bigansky for Decrypt.co. Stock trading app Robinhood warned Wednesday it would soon end support for Bitcoin SV or BSV with plans to delist the coin later this month. Robinhood users will no longer be able to buy, sell, or transfer that fucking shit coin after January 25th, according to the company update. Any remaining BSV in customer accounts after that date will be automatically sold with users credited accordingly. Quote, we have a rigorous framework in place to help us regularly review the crypto we offer on Robinhood, the company stated. Quote, while we do not discuss the process for assets on an individual basis, based on our latest review, we've decided to end support for Bitcoin SV. BSV is the only coin Robinhood said that will be impacted by the delisting. The platform currently offers trading on 19 different shitcoins through its Robinhood crypto service, including Bitcoin and the other one, Bcash. The price of BSV fell sharply on Wednesday. Its price has decreased 11% to to $39.11 over the past day as of this writing. According to data from CoinGecko, the figure represented a 92% decline in price from an all-time high of $489.75 set in April back in 2021. BSV was first added to Robinhood's platform in November of 2018 after a hard fork involving Bitcoin Cash created that shitcoin. Bitcoin Cash itself is the result of a hard fork with Bitcoin's protocol. Uh, They go through what a hard fork is. We don't need that. Uh, BSV, or Satoshi's vision, is distinct from other versions of Bitcoin, including Bitcoin Cash, because of its larger block size, which results in reduced transaction fees. BSV is currently ranked 54th among all shitcoins in terms of market capitalization with a total value of $745 million. It is significantly smaller than Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash with market caps of $335 billion and $2 billion respectively. I can't believe Bcash has that much of a market cap. Um, Is there anything else in here that really needs to be said? Let's see if there's a... Okay, Dr. Craig Wright gives... uh, He's got a tweet here. It does not matter if you like me. The goal of what I'm doing is simple. Global micropayments. One day, people will understand, not because it is inevitable, but because I will not give up on that goal and vision. We shall start to scale in 2023. Millions of transactions per second first. It's bullshit. That entire chain is bullshit. Craig Stewart Wright is a fraud and a scammer. And anything else, he's a sham. He just, uh, I should have had the thesaurus up for this one. In either event, you, you get what I'm saying. So even Robin Hood is getting wise to this stuff. If you're, if for whatever reason you're listening to this show and you hold BSV, 
Why? And second, sell it now because you're, I mean, it's, it's going nowhere but down from here. That thing's going to be 10 cents. It's going to be doge worthy very, very quickly. Now, let's get into this one. Twitter addictions. Mark Marar. I can never pronounce this guy's name. Mark Maria, I guess, uh, is writing for Bitcoin Magazine, says this year Bitcoiners should quit their Twitter addictions. I've been studying Bitcoin since 2020, and I've noticed there is a strong, vibrant community on Twitter. In fact, Bitcoin Twitter is virtually its own country that exists online. I've had a Twitter account since 2009, but I never use it to tweet. There are several reasons for this, but suffice it to say, I've never found it to be a great use of my time. Like many boomers, I see social media as a huge time and productivity drain. I also see it as perhaps the worst addiction of our age. In a recent TFTC podcast episode, host Marty Bent and guest Ryan Breslow, the CEO of Bolt, got into the topic of our addiction to technology and specifically Twitter. Both admitted to having Twitter addictions. It appeared from the conversation that, while Marty Bent admitted that to his addiction, he had not done much to break that addiction while Breslow had. In fact, Breslow described his toughest personal challenge is managing his time on Twitter. Breslow used to check it randomly and often every day, which brought him to the dopamine hit that keeps us all hooked on the technology. How many can say the same? Probably many of you who are reading this. Since I'm not on Twitter, it's easy for me to feel excluded. I may have great ideas to contribute, but they won't be heard unless I become more active on Twitter. My compromise approach has been to join Telegram, <laughs> oh shit, which has been just the right middle ground for me. But as Brizo pointed out, there is no silver bullet approach. Day to day, how are you managing your addiction? It turns out that few of us can resist the appeal of something that's always available, one button away. Breezlow adopted this rule for his posts. He checks his Twitter feed once to see how a post did. It's easy to say, but hard to do. I've been writing about this growing addiction to our devices before the age of smartphones and before Bitcoin. In fact, I wrote about it with the advent of PDAs, the old personal digital assistants, in particular, Blackberries which were, during their heyday, sometimes called crackberries. I even wrote a chapter in my second book that ironically was tiled, titled Fire Your PDA. I joked back then that most people did not know that there was an on-off switch on their devices. And for those of you who are too young to remember, blackberries were highly addictive in the age of email and right before social media or texting. Well, as anyone reading this article today can attest, the problem has only worsened with Twitter and other social media platforms, but it's at least 10 or perhaps even 100 times worse. Before I share specific experiments that you might implement in your new year to increase your awareness of this addiction, let me ask you the following questions. Do you admit that you have a Twitter addiction? Has it hindered or interfered with your relationships with a coworker, family member, or friend? Have you ever tried going a day without it? Do you check Twitter or other social media apps first thing when you wake up? Do you keep your phone in your bedroom? Do you keep your phone on your nightstand? After you post something, do you check it compulsively? 
It's a safe bet that if a family member or friend has ever asked you to stop reading your Twitter feed when you were with them, you were probably addicted to or misusing that technology. In fact, I'm betting that it's harder for some of us to give up our addiction to social media than to give up our addiction to certain foods like sugar. In fact, I'd say our, our addiction to devices is as damaging to our health as is our addiction to sugar. What follows are several actionable experiments from easiest to most challenging that you can implement today that will be worth trying in 2023. One, turn off notifications for Twitter for one week. Two, turn off notifications for Twitter for one week and check your usage data for the last week. Set a benchmark for the number of minutes you spend on the platform each week. Monitor this on the same day each week. Three, establish a defined number of times per day when you will check the app on your device or set a block of time for when you check it. Four, turn off your device for one hour per day. This is actually a really good way to assess how compulsively you check it. Five, turn off your device for an entire day. Keep track of the number of times you go to check it and or turn it back on. Six, turn off your device when meditating or reading spiritual literature. Keep track of the number of times you go to check it and, and or turn it back on. Seven, turn off your device when you are eating. Keep track of the number of times you go to check it and or turn it back on. Quote, or quote, eight, turn off your device when you are writing an article. Keep track of the number of times you go to check it or turn it back on. Nine, turn off your device when you are working, if possible. 10, turn off your device for an entire weekend. 11, delete Twitter from your phone for one day. Finally, 12, delete Twitter from your phone for one week. Some of these experiments may be totally unworkable because of life situations, but the overall purpose for them is to assess how addicted you are to the device. The goal of the exercise is for you to gain greater control over Twitter or the social media app that has you in its grip. Ideally, if you spend less time on Twitter and devote more time to your friends and family, it will improve the quality of your life and productivity. Remember, we want the tech to serve us and not have us be addicted to the app or the tech. Again, that's Mark Maria for Bitcoin Magazine. I'm scrolling back up to the seven questions and I'm going to answer them. Do you admit that you have a Twitter addiction? I did. I can't anymore because I'm banned. But if I haven't been, if I hadn't been banned, I wouldn't be discovering Noster, which I am quickly becoming addicted to, kind of. And let me just kind of spread that out. With Noster, there's not an algorithm that was that was co-designed by a team of psychologists to keep me trapped on Noster. It's way easy for me to just go, ah, okay, I'm done. With Twitter, it wasn't that way. Why? The algorithms were designed with teams of psychologists expressly to keep people on the platform. Number two. Has it hindered or interfered with your relationships with a coworker, family member, or friend? Yes, it did. Three, have you ever tried going a day without it? No, I didn't. Four, do you check Twitter or other social media apps first thing when you wake up? 
Yes, and I still do. I go to Noster. Five, do you keep your phone in your bedroom? Yes, I do. But that's because I use it as my alarm clock. Number six, do you keep your phone on your nightstand? Yes, I do. So I can shut off my alarm when it wakes me up. <laughs> I used to know a girl at, uh, in college that had three alarm clocks. She was a, a, an aspiring medical student. She's one of those type, she was one of those type A personalities. She was talking to me one day about it. And uh, I just said something about how it was kind of hard to get up in the morning and blah, blah, blah. And she said, yeah, that's why I keep three alarm clocks. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, I have an alarm clock on my, on my nightstand. And when that wakes me up, I've got to shut it down. And then I keep another alarm clock in my bathroom. And she lived in an apartment uh, and she had a, a alarm clock in her bathroom. So she would actually have to get up out of bed and walk over to it and shut it off. And then she had one in her kitchen or her, it was either her kitchen or her living room. And when that one went off, she, if she had gone back to bed after shutting the uh, one in the bathroom off, the third one would go off. And she goes, by that time, there's no going back to sleep. That's a typical type A personality for you. Yeah, I know, dude. Talk about rot. Whatever. Number seven. And finally, after you post something, do you check it compulsively? I never did. That one I can actually safely say, no, I didn't give a shit. Why? Because I was addicted to, the, to uh, my list stream and all the posts from my fellow Bitcoiners, which I, I sorely miss all of those guys, by the way. Just, I'm just saying. Now, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We've got West Texas Intermediate up 1.35% to $79.45. Brent North Sea is up uh, 0.87% to $84.77. Natural gas taking the hit today, almost a full five points to the downside, back down to $3.51. And gasoline is up 1.08% to $2.50 a gallon. Uh, metals are mostly up. Gold is up 1.12% to $1,920. bucks. you know, this is one of the things I don't miss about Twitter is Peter Schiff dancing on the graves, supposed graves of Bitcoiners. Because I'll bet you, I'll bet you my ass that's exactly what he's doing right now. He always does. Silver is up a full 1.5%. Platinum is, uh, is da- woo, woo, down 1.18%. Copper is up. Scamp palladium is down almost a full point. All agricultural stuff is up, except for wheat, which is down scant. Biggest winner today right now is coffee, 1.47% to the upside, uh, followed on its heels by sugar, of course, 0.92% to the upside. We got Dow up scant, S&P down 0.14, NASDAQ 0.11% to the downside, and S&P is up uh, 0.12%. Real money is at... Wow, $19,296. Uh, we've had 414,000 BTC sent around the horn in the last 24 hours. That is an average of 17,251 BTC every hour on the hour. Average transaction value of 1.26 BTC. Median transaction value 0.02 BTC or just under 400 bucks. Block times are still seriously low. Nine minutes and seven seconds. We have 
sorry, a tenth of a Bitcoin in fees on a per block basis, 17.59 BTC awarded in fees over the last 24 hours is pretty respectable. Uh, we've had a, an increase in hash rate by half a percent and we are, what is that? 251.79 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, a full eight United States pennies. I expect to see BSV down there soon. 2,233 transactions waiting on one block to clear. We have $370.8 billion of market cap, just under 3% of gold's entire market cap, but we can now get 10.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,260,859.66 of. And 5,226.27 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $100.6 million being run over just under 16,000 nodes, uh, sporting 75,517 payment channels and 68.9% all that shit's being run over TORS, 11,243 associated Lightning nodes. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start this one with more boostograms. Ptar, 9,999 sats, says Dave's Noster public key to follow him is, and I'm not going to read it, but he's giving people my public key in this boostergram. Thank you, Ptar. I appreciate it. Bubba actually was actually on top, and I just scrolled down and, and saw Bubba again, 40,000 sats. Dude, thanks, bro. Noster is not on Android yet, as I understand. That's all I got. Uh, let's see. What is it? Also, not sure how much I need to communicate in this world. Not sure I'll do it, but I'll always get my Dave dose here. It may be time uh, yo check you check out again as I've done before. Happy New Year, man. Yeah, Bubba, I, I get it, but I feel compelled to do this show. And one of the ways that I get uh, news for this show has been social media. And now that I'm not on Twitter... It's much harder, but Noster is, in fact, you know, is delivering me a scant amount of what I used to get on Twitter as far as, uh, hey, this just happened kind of stuff. Letter 6173 says, love the high signal to noise this podcast provides. Thanks, Letter. I appreciate that, man. Fatoshi, bro, I haven't seen you in a while. 5,556. Satoshi says, good to have you back, David. We missed you. Glad you had a good break. Is there a Bible story about nobody learning their lesson? Yeah, there's several. <laughs> anything about naivete not uh, anything about naivete not d i e n g. I don't know what that means. I'm sure it's a misspelling. Seems like it should be in there, but Jonah, Eve, Pandora, that's all about the opposite, I think. Yeah, Jonah's story, Jonah and the whale, is really interesting. This is a guy that was running away from God's word, in case you don't know the story. He kept going. He's like, you know, God's like, hey, I need you to go tell these, these deliver a message. And Jonah's like, dude, they'll, they'll kill me. If I tell them this, they're going to kill me. I'm not going to do it. And he runs and runs and runs. And the thing is, is that you're talking about running away from God. Dude, there, there's nowhere to run. And I mean, this shit goes on for, I want to say for years. 
it's not like a couple of weeks. Almost everything in the Bible is like over the course of decades, right? And Jonah basically is just running from the voice of God. You, you can't. You can't run from the voice of God. It just, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, the Wild Hustle with 2000 Sat says, quickly becoming one of my favorite, or sorry, quickly becoming one of my go-to Bitcoin podcasts. I appreciate that I'm giving you guys some value. I really do. I just listened to uh, Peter McCormick, What Bitcoin Did, um, and uh, his year in review with Matt O'Dell. And I'm going to be very, very clear and very honest. After BlockFi, after listening to Peter be told by several people that I have the highest regard for in the space to ditch BlockFi as a sponsor, and he didn't, and then BlockFi blew up with all the rest of this garbage, I deleted what Bitcoin did as one of the Bitcoin podcasts that I listened to. I just couldn't do it. The reason I listened to this one is because Matt O'Dell was on it. And I have, again, the highest regard for Matt O'Dell and, and other, there are a couple of handfuls of people that I can say the same thing about, Mar, you know, like Marty Bent, uh, Texas Slim. I have the highest regard for these people. And that's the only reason I listened to it. And they got into the whole BlockFi debate and all that kind of shit. One of the things that was talked about was um, that, he had to do sponsorships because this is going back to the discussion that he had with Matt O'Dell, where he said, uh, or Matt O'Dell said, hey, you got to be careful about your sponsors. You know, you can't take just anybody. And then that gives it into a discussion with the financials behind a podcast. And apparently it cost him $120,000 a month to produce his podcast. Fair enough. Uh, fair. Sorry, I got it. I just got a message. Fair enough. He does a lot of flying. He has a producer that, that needs to get paid. I get it. I get it. I get it. The reason I'm getting to all this is that he's put himself in a situation where, um, where he has to get that money from sponsors because his show is very expensive to produce. I'm not saying it's that he's doing it wrong. I'm not saying that at all. He has his expenses. I don't know what his expenses are. I can only gather but he has expenses. So he gets into a situation where he's got to crawl out. I don't actually, that was a mean thing to say. I didn't mean it that way either. Um, he's got to go out and he's got to grab sponsors because it, he's got to make a living. You know, I, I, I can respect that. I get it. But the difference between value for value and getting sponsors is immense. It is an immense chasm to cross. And Peter's like, in the short term, value for value will not pay my bills. I agree. They're not paying mine either, pal. I get it. But I'm in a position where I can kind of hang for a little while and not kind of have to get sponsors. And I'm moving more to the point where I never will. One of these, you know, if, if Rodolfo Novak asked me, if I were to get in contact with him and say, hey, would you be interested? I would do cold card and block clock advertisements because I, I have a high regard for Rodolfo Novak. He's never rugged anybody and he's been around the space longer than I have. And I've been around since 2015. 
I have these high regards for these people because I've either known them or known of them for that long. And if they haven't rugged anybody in the amount of time that I've known them, I have a high regard for them. Uh, but the fact remains the same. Value for value right now is not cutting it. it it's because I, it won't cut it for him because even with as large of an audience as he has, uh, it won't pay one hundred twenty thousand dollars a month. It's just not gonna. It's just not going to. And which is why I would ask all of you to go out and talk to your friends and say, you know, help the podcasters, not just me, but even Peter. You know, and I mean, I'm not the biggest fan, but I don't hate him. He's done some stupid shit, yeah, but so have I. I haven't rugged anybody and I haven't gotten it. I hope I haven't gotten anybody into trouble like he has, but I don't hate him and I don't completely disrespect him. I think he's going to learn from this and I think he'll be a better man for it. But regardless, value for value right now without more people in the ecosystem is just, it can't cut it and we need it to cut it. It doesn't mean it has to happen overnight. I'm not begging for money. I'm just saying if we want value for value to replace the standard legacy advertising model, then it is it behooves the listener of this show and other shows to do some do some evangelization for it. Like you, you don't have a problem evangelizing for Bitcoin? Great. Do the same thing for value for value podcasting. And then do the same thing for Nostra because that's quickly becoming a value for value model. Let's move on. Let's see what else we got here. Do, do, do. I think that might've been it. Yep. That was it for that one. And then I will do yesterday shows boostograms Monday. And then we'll just go from there. Now, speaking of getting your listeners rugged to hell, we have a Nexo story. Now, before I read it, I'm going to give you, we need to insert a little bit of context. I think it's like block height HQ podcast on YouTube with these two guys. And I can't remember their names. I told, I told you about it, uh, told you about it like uh, during November and the early part of December when all FTX was blowing up. And this guy was one of the hosts was crying because every, we had just fabulous technology and people keep doing the wrong things with it. And then immediately it cuts to a fucking Nexo commercial that is one of their sponsors. Yeah, how responsible can you be after Nexo offices raided by police in Bulgaria, according to reports, Helen Parts, Cointelegraph, troubled cryptocurrency lender Nexo is facing more pressure from regulators with its offices reportedly raided as part of an international investigation. A group of prosecutors, investigators, and foreign agents searched the company's offices in the Bulgarian capital of Sofia, local news agency Standard reported on January the 12th. The operation was reportedly initiated a few months ago targeting a large-scale financial criminal scheme allegedly involving money laundering and violations of international sanctions against Russia. Citing sources, the Bulgarian National Television, the report alleges Nexo's involvement in the scheme. The Bulgarian National Television also highlighted Nexo's alleged ties with the government of Bulgaria. <laughs> that sounds cozy. Specifying that Nexo was co-founded by former member of parliament Antoni Trenchev and Georgi Shulev. 
the son of former Deputy Prime Minister Lydia Shuleva. Nexo was quick to react to the latest news, taking to Twitter, of course, to assure the public that the company has been compliant with global crypto regulations and has enforced strict anti-money laundering and know-your-customer policies. Quote, Unfortunately, with the recent regulatory crackdown on crypto, some regulators have recently adopted the kick-first, ask-questions-later approach. In corrupt countries, it is bordering with racketeering, but that too shall pass, Nexo wrote. What kind of official corporate communication is that? In corrupt countries, it's bordering with racketeering, but that too shall pass? Is this just like a terrible English translation? (laughs) I don't know. Founded in 2018, Nexo operates a cryptocurrency investment platform, also allowing users to stake and borrow against crypto. The firm first encountered issues in the United States in 2022 with the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation filing a desist and refrain order against it regarding its interest service in September. Nexo eventually decided to gradually cease operations in the United States altogether after failing to find a dialogue with local regulators. I told you Nexo was nexto. I also told you DCG was next was next. And and it's not that I'm brilliant. I'm just reminding you that if you look hard enough and you strip away the bullshit and you strip away your most hopeful expectations and just look at raw facts, anyone can see this. Anyone can make these calls. The only reason we don't is because our expectations and hopefulness get in the way. And I should have probably listed greed in there because greed actually should come first. Our greed, our greedy expectations, our greedy hopefulness Our greedy greed, in general, all stand in the way of us being able to see the clear picture. Earned products are a scam. DeFi is a scam. Ethereum is a scam. All shitcoins like Ethereum are scams. It's easy to see when you don't have a bag of any of this shit. The minute you got a bag of it, you're kind of corrupted because you need to protect that bag. The biggest and easiest way to steer clear of all this is to never hold anything but Bitcoin. And even then, I become just as corrupt and just as guilty because yes, I have a bag of Bitcoin. It seems to me to be the only place that I find the solace of A lot of ethical people, not all, there's some unethical Bitcoiners out there because they're actually secretly shitcoiners. And I can see that because I don't have any filters in my way of seeing that. But most of the people that I've known or known of or listened to for years have the strongest track record of not getting people in trouble. And those are the people that I want to work with that I want to listen to, that I want to gather my information from. Because like my dad said, it's it's the stupid people you work with or trust that will get you in trouble. Hell, there are evil people out there that will never get you in trouble because they're quote-unquote lawful evil, right? In the old D&D parlance, it means that they might be evil, 
but they adhere to a strict ethic about being evil. And in some cases, like a par- like some parasites are not parasites, but symbiotes, they can be considered lawful evil or at least lawful neutral because they don't kill the host to get what it needs to survive. And in many cases, they give back. So that'd be lawful neutral. There are other parasites that are full-blown parasites that are lawful evil, and they don't kill the host, but they don't give anything back either. But they make sure that the host stays alive. That's sort of, there's been a couple of lawful evil Bitcoiners that I've known that are like that. They're secretly shitcoiners, but they certainly do not want to destroy the thing that is giving them life. It's, it, the world is weird. It works in very weird ways. But in the end, anybody can make these calls. If you look at just the facts, that's the hard part. Not having filters on your glasses while you look at the facts so that it gets twisted into 6.7% APY earned products. You'll be able to see this. It just takes practice and it takes you being honest with yourself and honest with the world. Now, this may be a lawful evil person. I don't know. Nayib Bukele. El Salvador's legislature approves landmark digital securities bill paving the way for the Bitcoin bonds. This is written by BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. El Salvador has voted to pass a bill which paves the way for the issuing of President Nayib Bukele's Bitcoin bonds. The plan, which was announced back in November of 2021, would entail El Salvador issuing $1 billion in bonds on Blockstream's Liquid Network, a federated Bitcoin sidechain. The goal of the bond issuance would be to invest half of the money into Bitcoin and the other half into infrastructure necessary to build out the Bitcoin industry in the Central American country. The bonds, according to the statement at the time, would, God forbid, yield 6.5% and enable a fast track for investors to acquire citizenship in the country. Exactly one year after the announcement of the plan, the bill that was voted on today, and I think this was actually yesterday, uh, or, or Wednesday, was introduced by El Salvador's Minister of the Economy, Maria Luisa Jaime Breve, to the country's legislative assembly as the next step towards this plan. With today's approval, the country is much closer to making the Bitcoin bonds a reality. El Salvador's Bitcoin office released a statement in response to the vote that read in part, quote, Today, El Salvador builds on our first mover advantage by passing landmark legislation and establishing a legal framework for all digital assets that are not Bitcoin. Oh, God. The law also paves the way for the volcano bonds, which it will, we will soon be issuing, in quote, In a statement to Bitcoin Magazine, Max Kaiser, a Bitcoin educator and advocate who has also been a major proponent for El Salvador's adoption of Bitcoin since the process began, states that he believes, quote, This is one of the most important milestones yet. Making Bitcoin legal tender in September 2021 put El Salvador on the global financial map. This new law furthers the mission of President Bukele by establishing a foundation for a new, global digital securities layer built on Bitcoin. So there you go. We're one step closer. I don't know where the Bitcoin bonds are going to go. And even if they get issued, I don't know. I mean, honestly, now 
I hear yield on bonds and all I can think of is Gemini's earn product or DeFi. See, what's happened is the traditional financial markets, it's like we can't let go because our, it's like, it's like our, the neurons of our brain are physically tied to these instruments of the past and we can't pull out. We have to bring the 6.7% the annual yield in with us. We have to, we have to talk about finance. You know, and I'm not saying burn it all to the ground and, and expect nobody to die a, a gruesome death because lots of people would, but my God, people, how long is it going to take to get to the other side of all this bullshit that was started by the Medicis in the 14th fucking century? It, I mean, how long does humanity have to mire in the swamp of bullshit? You know, and no, I'm I'm not looking for a utopia, but this is as far from you. This is anti-utopia. If you're saying, and people do, and rightly so, that a utopia is impossible, I agree. Then why are we so headlong into the anti-utopia? If utopia is impossible, then we shouldn't even be able to be where we're at. If, if see what I'm saying. This is as anti-utopic as it gets, guys. If this is possible, then how far in the other direction could we go? We might not achieve utopia. Hell, I don't even want utopia. It sounds boring. But we need to be, we need to be on the other side of the mud pit in this huge tug-of-war contest. And we are way on the wrong side of this shit. Let's see where Nigeria is. Very are revisiting their payment landscape amid sluggish e-Naira adoption. Oh, who would have guessed? Gareth Jenkinson, Cointelegraph. <clears throat> Nigeria's central bank will explore the potential of stablecoins, the adoption of blockchain technology to power a central bank digital currency, and regulatory considerations related to initial coin offerings over the next two years. Already, you're in trouble. <laughs> These are the key takeaways of a policy document titled Nigeria Payments System Vision 2025, published by the Central Bank of Nigeria. The 83-page document touches on a variety of implications for its existing payments landscape with blockchain-based systems coming to the fore. The document delves into the implications of blockchain-based CBDCs, outlining 11 potential advantages of such an offering, including cash cost management, combating counterfeit currency, clear audibility, log logistical improvements, and payment efficiency. Nigeria's central bank believes monetary policy can be improved by the monitoring and adjustability of a CBDC, allowing for better control over the currency's value. The bank also notes that it could better monitor and control tax evasion, money laundering, and other illegal activities through a CBDC. Lastly, the CBN touts improved financial inclusion, <laughs> bullshit, and economic development, spurring innovation and efficiency by boosting competition between existing financial institutions, retail payments, products. You better put a tie on that suit speak. You said fucking nothing. A three to five year time frame is achievable to roll out a CBDC solution in Nigeria, they said. Stablecoins are also on the radar in Nigeria as fiat-backed digital currencies gain 
popularity in different countries worldwide. The CBN cites a need to develop a regulatory framework to implement stablecoin offerings in Nigeria. The CBN has a cautious view of ICOs, highlighting little appetite to adopt existing ICOs given their lack of regulation. Despite this, the CBN identifies the role of ICOs. <laughs> Sorry. Despite this, the CBN identifies the role of ICOs as an asset class and sees potential in adopting ICOs as a novel approach to fundraising for capital projects, peer-to-peer lending, and crowdfunding. Smart contract functionality is another point of interest highlighted in the policy document. The CBN mentions the, quote, tangible benefits of linking settlements to the transfer of ownership through smart contracts and the transfer of ownership of financial securities or completing commercial trade transactions. The country has been piloting at CBDC, the eNIRA, since October of 2021, but the project has struggled to gain traction among citizens. A Bloomberg report in October of 2022 said the usage of the e-Naira is at a whopping 0.5% of the population. (laughs) Meanwhile, Nigerians are becoming increasingly interested in, guess it, you guessed it, cryptocurrencies, with Google search data in mid-2022 highlighting the appetite for crypto in the country. Cointelegraph reached out to Adazoji Solanka, fintech and banks director at Renaissance Capital, to unpack the appetite for cryptocurrency trading in Nigeria and the reported lack of adoption of the government shitcoin. Solanki uh, shared the same sentiments, highlighting that Nigerians have not shown much interest in the e-Naira, despite local banks marketing it to their customers, quote, There's been no mass adoption of the e-Naira in the country just yet for the consumer or the merchant sides of the payment equation, end quote. Solanke said that the growing adoption of cryptocurrencies is driven by the cross-border functionality and the capital gain speculative option that they provide. Weighing up whether the e-Naira could become ubiquitous in Nigeria is more complex consideration, according to Solanke. I'm just going to end it there because I... I think that what's been said has been said. There's really two things here. One, the e-Naira is dead. The only way you're getting Nigerians to use this shitcoin is if you put a gun to their head, and that may happen. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, form, fashion thinking that there's no way the Nigerian government would do that. Yes, they would. They absolutely would. Second point. I don't want to read the whole first part of this again, but honestly, this reads like a government, like this Nigerian government is acting in the exact same way as somebody who is brand new to crypto that's aping into shit coins, DeFi, NFT board, board ape yacht club bullshit. They're just, they, they are fascinated by everything. And they're going to get rugged everywhere. The the Nigerian government has almost less education about this world of quote unquote crypto and all the evils that it provides than the 14 year old that just got its Twitter account and is somehow or another able to access tens of thousands of dollars and is buying every piece of shit under the sun. This is a government. 
This isn't a 14-year-old girl with a trust fund. This is a full-blown government whose fiduciary and moral and ethical commitment is to the health and well-being of their citizenry. And they're aping into ICOs like the most degen gambler you've ever seen. Nigeria is perfect for Bitcoin, for Bitcoin adoption on an organic level. Nothing I've seen looks anywhere close, except for like, you know, El Salvador, pre-Bukele. Nothing I've seen is close to the, it's almost like putting bacteria on a, on a Petri dish full of growth medium. You just know it's going to explode. And shit coins are going to explode right along with it. But what's not going to explode is the E-Naira, not unless the military comes out and forces vendors and customers to use it. And that, again, that may happen. Now, last thing I want to say about this is I'm seeing a model developing. Actually, it's, or it's been around for a while. <clears throat> but once you lift the blinders and you stop... It's not that I'm not hopeful anymore, but if I stop looking through the hopeful lens and the expectation lens and the what should be right and what is wrong lens, and I just look at the facts, here's the facts. The World Economic Foundation or uh, Forum, the WEF, right? Klaus Schwab, the International Monetary Fund, the United Nations, and all the rest of them. You know why they don't have to militarize? Because their nuclear bomb is the loans they make to the countries that they are loaning to. With those loans comes certain strictures. You must do X. Your country must engage in X. Your country can't engage in X, Y, and Z. Those are strictures. Guess who enforces that? You guessed it, the country who gets the loan. They already have their military and police force. And they're going to take the WEF and IMF and UN, whatever, whoever's loaning them the money. They're going to take those strictures and hand them over to their taxpayer paid for military and police force. And those two groups are going to enforce upon the people themselves the rules not of Nigeria, not of whatever other country took an IMF loan, but the laws that the IMF gives them because that's what those strictures are. Oh, we're just working a deal. Yeah, but that deal's got to be enforced, right? You can't use Bitcoin. That would be like one of the, that's why Naib Bukele's not, I don't think he's going to take any more loans from uh, World Monetary or World Economic Forum or the IMF or uh, the World Bank is another one, right? Because all of these people, they know that they don't have to keep their own military force. First of all, it would be generally illegal in 270 countries but they don't need to do that. They did the sly roundabout way of forcing a population that is not under their control to be under their control. And they did it with a low interest, long-term, multi-billion dollar loan. What do you think about that? They basically bought Nigeria's military, is what I'm saying. These loans 
They're printing money out of thin air. These loans mean nothing to them. They mean nothing to the European Union. They mean nothing to the United States. They mean nothing to anybody. Australia, they don't give a shit. They're just fucking printing the money. And when they do, though, and they make these loans, and they get all duded up in their Brooks Brothers suits and their silk ties from Russia, even though that they hate Russia. Russia makes the best silk ties, by the way. That's my opinion. Then all of a sudden, it's like a doctor in a white coat telling you to take a COVID's injection. Oh, believe me, I've got a white coat. Oh, believe me, this money is good because we're making it alone and I've got a Brooks Brothers coat on. By the way, your military better enforce the strictures of this deal. Otherwise, you're going to be indebted to us forever, even though you will be anyway. That's the way the world works. I will leverage your military and your police force against money I can print out of thin air because I'm a con man. You'll believe that that money is good and that your military should do X. And I don't have to carry a military. What a brilliant business plan is that? It's based in pure evil. And it's chaotic evil, by the way. It's not lawful evil. It's chaotic, it's chaotic evil, which is the worst kind because it's like, fuck, I don't care what happens to these people. As long as I can shake them down for as much money as I can get for as long as I can get it, I don't care who starves to death. That's chaotic evil. It's just, again, if utopia is impossible, then how is it we are so far on the other side to get into the anti-utopic situation that we find ourselves in? And how the hell do we get out of it? One tool is Bitcoin. The other tool is decentralized communications lines like Noster, but they're not the only one. Breaking our addiction to shit like walled garden crap like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that is like, like for instance, generally speaking, when I make a show, I put out the, the notice on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn everywhere, everywhere I can. And uh, when I got back from Christmas, the first show that I put out, I couldn't put it on Facebook because Facebook logged me out and I forgot my login information. And guess what I didn't do? I spent zero time trying to find my login information because I don't care. I'm, I'm trying to break my addiction to that which holds us close to the brainwashing machine that tells us that it's okay to print money out of thin air, deliver it to another country under strictures and leverage their own military against them so that I can wear more Brooks Brothers. That's the world we live in. You got to get out of it. If you got a Twitter addiction, ask yourself those questions, rewind the show, go back to the seven questions and take off all the filters that suggest that you're hopeful or you're this, or you're that, you know, and just read the facts. Do that, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.